7 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, our requiems and fixes are back. The four drivers who couldn't make the final four get their time to be analyzed and looked at for next year. That plus a special edition of our championship preview. Stick around, we'll explain. But first, as always, we start with a quick look back. This is episode 127, and a driver synonymous with the number 27 is the one and only Jacques Villeneuve and his flirtation with NASCAR. Let's look back on it, David. Jacques Villeneuve, former Xfinity Series racer, as he was recently described, but his resume is a tad longer than that. Formula One champion, Indy 500 champion, but yes, in the late part of the first decade of the 2000s, the Canadian made his way to NASCAR. A total of about 20 starts across the top three series. Nothing really to write home about, but this did uh, coincide, David, with the great open-wheel migration we briefly saw in NASCAR. What should we know about Mr. Villeneuve? This was one of those potential pairings that you got really excited about because on one hand, you really like Jacques Villeneuve, and on the other hand, you really like NASCAR. And it's kind of those things of, wow, Tommy Lee Jones is a great actor, (laughs) Two-Face is a great character, what can go wrong? And it turns out, a lot. (laughs) So so 2008, he was going to go full-time Cup Series racing. He signed with Bill Davis Racing, that is the organization most famous for the Caterpillar number 22, driven by Ward Burton. Jacques was going to be a second car for that team. And he did a lot to make it happen. He made two preliminary cup starts in 2007. His first career start came at Talladega, of all places, but he qualified sixth, hello, and finished on the lead lap in 21st. He also made a start at Phoenix later that year, but crashed out. He made seven truck series starts for the Bill Davis team. They were stalwarts in the truck series in those days. But 2008, the season opener, he didn't even make it. He was gunning for a spot in the Daytona 500 in his dual race when he was caught in the middle three wide. And in watching the video, Alan, he appears to back out of the throttle when kind of a crazy thing to do at Daytona. And But when he does this, he just loses the car, like, like all control. He crashes it. It collects both Jamie McMurray and Stanton Barrett. And because of this crash, he failed to qualify for the biggest race of the year and the richest race. His car was unsponsored. Not only that, he lost the ride completely. Hmm. Uh, the quote from Bill Davis in what was basically a, a have your cake and eat it to press release was that Jacques would be out of the car for the foreseeable future, but that we know he has the talent and the desire to be a NASCAR and we are diligently working on a long-term relationship with him. Now I've worked in NASCAR PR before, folks. That's code for if he brings additional funding, we will reconsider. But he he never again competed for uh, Bill Davis Racing. But he did compete some more in NASCAR, as you mentioned, primarily in the Xfinity Series for Braun Racing uh, and a few others, including Team Penske. He earned five top six finishes all on road courses, and he even won a pole in Montreal, the track named after his father. His most recent stock car foray was this year, competing in the NASCAR Euro Series, where he won twice uh, on the final leg, sweeping the NASCAR GP of Italy. But 
that wasn't all, Alan, because he headed to your neck of the woods yeah. uh, in Charlotte. Tell us what he did last month. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, we look to look at the past with this segment, but the past is relevant because, yeah, I met and spoke with Jacques Villeneuve, of all people, of just a few weeks ago at Charlotte Motor Speedway because he was there testing the next-gen car. And it sounds like we will see him in the NASCAR Cup Series next year because he was a part of the new team, Team Hesseberg, that is coming in with their younger driver, but it seems like to get some footing, perhaps maybe on road courses. I don't know the exact plan yet. Neither did Jacques when I talked to him, but it sounds like we will see Jacques Villeneuve in NASCAR once again next year, if all goes well. And that team's number 27 as well. Uh, Loris Hesemann is the uh, the driver earmarked for that, and he's won. Uh, he's been a frequent winner in the Euro Series. I think it's a bit ambitious of a jump to go straight from Euro to the Cup Series. Uh, the infrequent starts we've seen from Loris uh, this year have um, have been a bit worrying. He's he's rattling around the back of the Xfinity Series pack when he does make a start. Um, it is a slog. It's not an easy transition as Jacques showed us. Um, it's going to take some time, but it's, um, it's interesting. It's a, it's a Dutch team with a, a formula one champion also somewhat attached to it coming in into the, uh, the next gen era. Good start to episode 127, linking the past and the future as we look back on the NASCAR career, maybe longer NASCAR career of Jacques Villeneuve. Let's get it started. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. David, it's once again time for our Requiems in Fixes. What does that mean? It means we lost four drivers from the playoff, and we will look back on their season and what they need to fix. And as always, the rule this year has been our fix cannot just be get faster. We have to go deeper than that, David. So the drivers, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Joey Logano, no longer competing for the Cup Series Championship. We'll go, we'll go over each one. David, we'll start with you with Ryan Blaney. Tell us about him. Uh, I will, but first I want to preface this by saying that we do these segments every year. And especially after this last round, there's typically a team that should have advanced based on just sheer strength, but didn't. And then the narrative of the season becomes a story of failure, kind of like Kevin Harvick uh, and Stuart Haas racing last year. But Mm. that's not the case here. When this round of eight started, in my opinion, there was a clear top four, and that entire top four has advanced. So when I look at the four teams that we're about to discuss, I don't know 
if there's much underachievement here. I think it's just the end of the line, the the sort of the natural conclusion to their seasons based on everything that we saw from them. And that's not to diminish them in any way. It's just the knowledge of the extent to which they're capable. I don't think anyone fumbled the ball, so to speak. And And when I look at the top of this list, Ryan Blaney, it was a good year for Ryan Blaney personally, I'll say. His peer as we record, is 2.357. That tops last year's mark as a career best. So bravo to him. That is a new personal best production rating for Ryan Blaney. And how he got there, he scored three wins, one of them on a drafting track, and he's one of five drivers to finish inside the top half of fields over 80% of the time. That is a relevance percentage of 82.86 on motorsportsanalytics.com. Among those averaging running positions in the top half of the fields, his 69.1% retention rate on choose rule restarts ranks second, while his 22 positions gained on choose rule restarts ranks fourth among all drivers. As far as long run passing goes, he's currently in the black with uh, his surplus value, but it's a little too close to zero for comfort, at least to my liking. His long runs this season have been saddled by much of what crew chief Todd Gordon has done. 173 positions lost Allen during green flag Mm. pit cycles, 84 of those coming on non-drafting ovals. Blaney's team defended his running position on green flag pit stops 42% of the time and did that as much uh, as uh, 23.5% of the time when relinquishing a top five spot that is astonishingly bad. <laughs> that is not surprising in the least if you're familiar with Todd Gordon's work. The good news is <laughs> just as strategy becomes as important as it's ever been in NASCAR history with the advent of the next-gen era, Gordon is retiring. He will be replaced by Jonathan Hassler. My fix for Blaney and this number 12 team is to address the long runs both in terms of strategy, Jonathan Hassler needs to be on top of that, but also the passing. And and this is on Blaney. On non-drafting ovals, he was a negative surplus passer this season, and that is a come down from the high positive that he scored in 2020. So we've seen him be more effective as a long-run mover. We saw it during the early parts of this season. We saw it in his win in Atlanta, but this needs to be more of a constant. You can argue he was the best of Penske's trio of drivers this year. Pierce seems to believe that. And the seasons going forward, he's in a position to be the focal point of Team Penske's NASCAR Cup Series efforts. And that's a great spot. So a goal of well-roundedness, not outside the realm of possibility, but something of a need if he's going to fully optimize what his team gives him on a weekly basis down the road. I love it. I, I love because I, I, I love the pair we make, David, because I write down these surface level eye test things. And you just explained everything I, I wrote down in my notes because, um, but I, you know, or I, that I couldn't really explain, but you did. So what I'm getting, I wrote down, yeah, Blaney, best year of his career. 
Uh, but I felt like there was just something left on the table, right? I mean, he, his 750 peer was underwhelming in terms of the rest of the field. So I felt like he wasn't maximizing what, what should have been or could have been a strength, right? When you talk about well-balanced. And as you explained, despite some of the good career numbers, there were aspects that, that just didn't take advantage of those. And so there was something left on the table. So I think that sums up Laney's year. It might sum up the year for all three Penske guys that we're going to talk about because I think there is an underlying commonality. But for Blaney in particular, still young. And at this point, I mean, at least before you're 30, you're looking at every incremental sign of growth. And he's he's shown that. Last year, he really developed as a long-run passer. That's why it's disappointing to see a step backwards. But in totality, he was a better result getter this year in the equipment that he had. So it's one step forward, one step back, but it's movement. We haven't seen the whole of Ryan Blaney yet. That finished product is still years away, but we can see how it's materializing right now. All right, Ryan Blaney, we bid you adieu. We will see you next year. Next up on the list, Kyle Busch, Joe Gibbs Racing. David, he had two wins, doubling last season's total, two wins so far at least, improvements this year in both top fives and top tens, but it was not enough. It came down to Martinsville and second place, David, second place at Martinsville meant absolutely nothing to the driver of the 18 car. Say what you want, but that's a hell of a format. Uh, Kyle Busch, a plus passer in every passing category this year so far. That is a plus And David, when I looked at all his stats on motorsports analytics, it it was really tough to find something of a fix because his statistical profile is so close to being top four. And this is kind of what you were explaining at the top. I mean, Kyle's Bush's statistics and his production this year, it reads like a driver you would expect to be only three points out of the top four, right? I mean, he's right there in speed. Uh, right there in a lot of these other metrics. So, But the one thing that stood out to me, David, that would need to be fixed if you're going to perform at this high level and against all these other contenders, to me would be his crash frequency, which was pretty high, second highest among contenders. And over the course of the season, maybe that's where you get three extra points from that keeps you out of the top four. According to motorsportsanalytics.com, 0.37 times per race crash frequency. And to me, that was one of the... the the only kind of weaknesses that really stood out just in terms of being so close to a top four kind of guy, you know, that that's what stands out. That can make the difference at the end of a season. That is a tremendous observation. And and you also hit on something about just his stat profile. It It's close to being of the caliber of the four guys that are yeah. going to compete for a championship in Phoenix. But here's kind of where I like, I, I just come to a pause at that. Kyle Bush this year has been a theoretical eight and a half out of 10 in like every statistical measure. Mm. And while that's great and that's well-rounded and well-roundedness should be a goal that you're competing for in auto racing, he doesn't, he's not a 10 in anything. And it, when you get into these kinds of formats or you're, uh, you have a, a fractured focus trying to figure out how races are going to be shaped or culminate based on caution trends, whatever, if, if you're just kind of B plus in everything and, and you don't have that odd edge somewhere, you're going to miss out on a lot 
like on quite a bit. And and we if we think about even his best days uh, earlier this year, he won at Kansas. His car wasn't the best at Kansas. He won at Pocono. It was fuel mileage. He had mechanical issues earlier in that race. It wasn't an example of the Kyle Busch that we always know comes out with a dominant car, stomps the field. It was kind of a diminished version and not a bad one. Again, eight and a half out of 10 is great if you want to make it to the round of eight, which he did. But in today's NASCAR, that's kind of the thing that uh, keeps you from making the championship four. Because if we look at all of those guys that are competing for a championship, they um, they are at the top of something. And that's going to matter come Sunday if a race breaks that way. For Kyle Busch, he's not in that conversation regardless of how you shake it. And a low 750 peer from what I saw on the charts. And one thing I remember, David... Remember Loudon. Remember what happened at the beginning of that Loudon race where the track was wet and JGR was set to have a great day. I'm sure Kyle Busch fans remember when you come up three points short of the championship four, you just think about the stage points and or victory possibly taken from them that day. Uh, it's just something I had to mention when I'm thinking about his requiem and fix. Uh, don't race on a wet track. That's a good fix, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's still probably smarting about that as well, but I think, you know, good shout on the crashing. Um, I'm, I'm going to make that same comment about Brad Keselowski coming up. Uh, we saw some high frequencies this year. We saw drivers take some risks this year when they didn't necessarily have the car. Maybe they were trying to overcome it and a little too much went awry. So yeah, I, I think there's much better seasons to be had for Kyle, this year was not as bad optically as 2020. It's a step in the right direction in that regard, and you're one of the Ben Bayshore era. But uh, there's some work to do, uh, and so and he's got an off season to figure out a new car. I'm, I'm interested to see what that looks like come next year. Kyle Busch, we will see you again next year. Next up, Brad Keselowski. David, tell us about him. He walked out of Penske this week for the final time. Safe to say that on the track. This was a disappointing year for Keslowski. This is a driver who came into 2021 with nine consecutive years with a 2.2 peer or higher. As we sit, it's at 1.671. Old reliable, as we call him, wasn't as reliable. And that might be because his job was in flux. Uh, ultimately, he will move to Roush Fenway Racing or whatever they decide to rename that organization uh, for next year. So perhaps uh, better vibes are on the horizon, but I'll tell you what he did well and better than anybody. The short runs. He gained 33 spots on choose rule restarts this year. That is the most of any driver in the cup series. He ranked fourth in position retention on preferred groove restarts and his 1.22 position average gain from the preferred groove on restarts is the highest among all drivers, but ultimately he didn't have a whole lot of speed to play with. He ranked 14th in average median lap time. The fact that he was that close to winning Martinsville, kind of impressive when, when you consider that, uh, the crashing, I teased it earlier. This was the highest crash frequency among cup series regulars, Mm. 0.51 times per race. 
that frequency was goosed on the road courses where they were trouble for for Kazlowski. Uh, interesting tidbit here. Keselowski will be replaced by Austin Sendrick next year in the two car. Sendrick is the only driver with at least six starts to have a higher crash frequency than Brad Keselowski. So the, the two team, uh, can't quit it apparently, but for Brad, the fix as he moves to his new team is for his new team, the number six team Roush to build its identity around its new driver's strengths. Embrace those short runs because as he proved this year, even in a down season where everything else was terrible, at the very least, he still offers that. And that is uh, arguably the most reliable thing about all reliable. There you go. And remember, he finished second in Phoenix last year with the fastest car. Anything less than a title was going to be disappointing, right? When you come up one spot short, uh, there's only kind of one way to go from there, especially in a year of flux. Brad Kozlowski, we will see you next year with another team. It's going to be pretty weird. Finally, David, we have a third Penske car. Pen- the, the round of eight, not kind to Penske whatsoever. Joey Logano, one win, came on a dirt track. 10 top fives, 19 top tens. Those are all lower than the metrics from last season. Again, that only win came at Bristol on the dirt. He had a shot at the top four, uh, you know, still obviously could, could go out and could have won Martinsville, but he kind of ran like crap at Martinsville. Was not a factor, right? I mean, Brad, Brad Keselowski was there at the end of Martinsville. Ryan Blaney had, you know, issues in, in the pits, damage, what have you. Joey Logano just wasn't a factor at Martinsville, which surprised me. Uh, the lowest number of laps led this season since 2017 for the driver of the 22. And so that was his year. And David, the fix, this one is a bit easy for me because it's been <laughs> the fix for him all year. And we've been pointing it out all year. Joey Logano really has to figure out the 550 tracks. That was the issue this year. He had one of the biggest disparities, if not the biggest, of drivers between his performance and what it was at 750 tracks and then what it was on 550 tracks. There was a large chasm, 750 good, 550 bad. We talked about it at the beginning of the round. Who were we worried about? We both said Joey Logano, and look, we were kind of right, kind of right. The engine issue at Texas, he did lead some laps at Kansas and had a top 10. But it just wasn't enough, and you have to have some balance. If he wasn't going to be good there, you had to be good at Martinsville. He was not. You're, you know, you're having to rely on wins at the 750 tracks. He did not get them. So, David, Joey Logano and crew have to improve and be far more balanced or, or just much better at the 550 tracks because there are plenty of those on the schedule, and they will eventually cost you. Yeah, and, and even as you're saying that, it, it brings to mind just how disappointing last weekend at Martinsville was because that was supposed to be, if there was a salvation point, mm. the the race to do that because he came in there with a high 750 speed ranking and he left, he had the, he had the 12th fastest car at Martinsville and that's, that's a dud. I, and that's kind of where I stop here. I, I, so now we've, we've just named all three Penske drivers. Mm-hmm. Here's a question I want to ask you. Are we sure Penske was good? This year, because mm-hmm. their their wins came at Talladega, Daytona, the Bristol Dirt Race, mm. and also Atlanta and Michigan. And I'm not going to knock five victories, but those tracks do not instill confidence when it comes to competing for championships. I consider 
the speed splits based on horsepower and and they were all over the place uh and and this is so unlike last year where there was a laser focus on being good at 750 tracks and, and this year the attention was scattered the result was they they all of them missed the championship four uh and their best 750 team laid that egg at martinsville and, and you know I think I, I'm thinking back to you know some of these pre-race chats that I did on the Discord and, and some of these questions that we've answered from listeners. The organization at large was difficult to predict this year, and I think when that happens, that means that there's a an identity missing. It seems strange to say, but this was not a good Penske year. When when two former series champions combined for two wins, none of which were on a quote-unquote normal track, something has to be amiss, right? Perhaps they did a better job of papering over whatever affected the Fords. They they did a better job than uh, Stuart Haas. What say you? What do you think? I I understand that. I look forward... You mentioned the tracks that they won at, and uh, I look forward to that conversation when we talk about Chase Elliott later on in our series of podcasts, but I'll save that. But I see what you're saying. I mean, uh, winning is important, but it's... What do you... I, I think about what you mentioned before about like Kyle Busch being good at some things, but not the best at anything. I mean, where did Penske stand out in any metric, especially when we're judging them against the JGRs and HMSs of the world who obviously lit the world on fire, at least statistically or with checkered flags. Uh, they, they didn't measure up. I mean, sure they were better than Stuart Haas racing in terms of getting checkered flags, but they weren't as good as those other two teams. And this is where the chips fall. They were a definitive third, yeah, among all organizations, and 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 it, it really wasn't close. I think you can you can make that 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 line of uh, demarcation between Hendrick and Joe Gibbs Racing, and and then Penske. I mean, really, this was a two organization race all year. The, the the two organizations that we'll talk about in our championship preview coming at it from different points of view, and but then here's Penske with with really no identity no point of view no they did not assert themselves on any one track type it was just all over the place uh and kind of a mess and i'm wondering if that was reactionary to the, the change to the inspection template that ford certainly dealt with that mm. seemed to be a bigger blow to Stuart haas penske just had a, a little bit more to work with and were able to have some success but again we look at the tracks that they won at we have to ask of the meaning of each of those wins. What did it mean? It meant a trophy for that one day, but in the grander scheme of the championship picture, it didn't mean a lot. Well said. Uh, Hey, good years by all, but you can't, not everyone can make it to the final four. And look at this point, the little things matter the most, right? When you're trying to choose between who the final four when you only have eight of them to pick and four advance the little things are really going to stand out so brad joey ryan and kyle we'll see you next year well next up is usually our cup series race preview for the weekend the bad news we don't have one for you on this episode the good news is we're going to do a full preview to the season finale in its own bonus episode, which will drop in your podcast feed tomorrow, Friday, if you're listening on Thursday. It's a new bonus episode that will drop the day after. But what we are going to do for them, David, our loyal listeners, 
we've got a little bit of a mini preview of Saturday's Xfinity Series race that we're going to do right now. The Xfinity Series Championship. Austin Sindrick, AJ Allmendinger, Noah Gregson, and Daniel Hemrick are the championship four running on Saturday. Uh, what do you think of this for? Is, is this the best four teams of the year that made it? I mean, it's not necessarily a guarantee with this format that we get the best four. What do you make of this group? It, it, you're right about what you said. Weirdly, the format, I don't think had anything to do with that this year. Really? The, the, the fastest and arguably best team in the Xfinity series is not even eligible for a driver's championship. Ah. And that's the Joe Gibbs 54 car shared by a cast of drivers, but most relevant to our discussion, Ty Gibbs. We gave him his own episode. But even with the format, as you mentioned, uh, Justin Allgaier's team from Junior Motorsports ranked as the third fastest team in the Xfinity Series this year. That trails the JGR 54 and Austin Sendrick's Penske team. Allgaier is not in the championship four, but I will say this four uh, is uh, four of the best six. We'll say, I think that's something that we should come to expect with this series, primarily because young drivers are in it. And not only that, crew members and engineers are, in theory, still developing. It is an imperfect series, but that volatility is appealing to a lot of folks. That's why you have people on social media believing it's a better series than the cup series. It's not. But the reason why they think that, whether they realize it or not, is that the unpredictability it offers uh, is based mostly on these imperfections. Well said. I agree with you with Allgaier. I mean, certainly more wins, top fives and top tens than Hemrick. So uh, the seven car definitely has a case that it is missing from uh, the, the championship four there. But of the four, Sindrek, Allmendinger, Gregson and Hemrick, uh, is there a complete team or maybe who's the most complete team? I, I love the 22, obviously. I mean, look, defending champions. Uh, I know laps led isn't always a great indicator. But, you know, maybe miles led is a better metric, but leading matters in a format like this because it's the best of the four. It doesn't matter what the 54 car does. Who's ever has the best track position for this race at the end of it wins the championship. Uh, but I like the 22. I know they're tied for wins with A.J. Allmendinger, but, you know, being up front matters and it's no small difference. Uh, David, Austin Sindrick led more than double the laps this year than A.J. Allmendinger, even though they're, they're tied with wins. 22 team defending champs. That sounds complete to me. How do, how do you answer this question? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. The, the number 22 Penske team, Austin Sendrick, crew chief, Brian Wilson, they're likely better and more well-rounded than their five wins suggest. Sendrick ranked first in average running position in 12 races this year on non-drafting tracks, he only won three of those. Hmm. One of them was Phoenix, but still, he and this team left a lot on the table this year. They should have won the regular season championship. It didn't work out that way. Individually, Cendric is the best restarter of this championship for, with a retention rate over 10 percentage points better than the next closest driver. And if he lacks anywhere... It's long runs. Uh, that's where he'll have competition. Noah Gregson, AJ Allmendinger are both more efficient 
passers, so say the numbers, but Cendric does hold a positive surplus value and winning this championship, as you mentioned, it's old hat at this point. He's won the last two races at Phoenix, including last year's title. Yep. And yeah, so I have to agree with you there. Uh, but looking at this four, I mean, these are all, well, they're not all up and comers, but you know, that you imagine they're on a, a different, they're all on a path maybe to all go back or to the cup series. Uh, some of them from a career longevity, a standpoint, which of the four do you think has the most to gain, uh, by winning this championship? To me, Noah Gregson stands out because I think winning does matter if you don't have big money behind you. Uh, if you combine Noah's you know, maturing personality <laughs> with, with the title of a champion, uh, Noah likes is good on camera. People like him. He has a fan base. I think winning a championship buys him some longevity. People like winners, and he's one driver I think would be able to take advantage of being deemed a champion and earning a championship and using that that uh, that cachet, if you will, to vault himself to something more. Uh, and I only say that because Austin Sindrick's already going to the Cup Series, right? Edgy Allmendinger's been there, and so has Hemrick. Uh, I don't know about their journeys, but I think Noah has the most to gain, if that's fair. That is fair. My answer is going to differ. In my opinion, it's Daniel Hemrick. Hmm. He's never won a race at the national level. You can throw a rock on Twitter and hit someone who's noted that. Hmm. But a championship, and mind you, he's the only Joe Gibbs racing car uh, and driver eligible for this weekend. I, I find that fascinating. I think a championship justifies a lot of his grind and allows for a different, maybe rosier future for him. I don't know that he'll ever go cup racing again, but it's clear that he's a fully capable Xfinity driver, even without winning. Uh, among those with large enough sample sizes, he ranks eighth in peer. Now, his peripheral stats suggest he is the long shot of this group. He is a minus passer and a below average restarter. But as I said, this is an imperfect series, and uh, I think it'd be fitting if the champion reflected that. Uh, and he had, he faces the possibility of not winning the race, but also winning the Xfinity Series Championship. That wouldn't do any favors for the the court of public opinion, David. Unfortunately, no. But I mean, Matt Crafton also accomplished that a, a, a year or two ago in trucks, and he seems to be fine <laughs> with with yeah, that. That's true. Um, I think a, ch- a championship opens uh, different doors. Uh, he's already going to a new team next year at Colleague Racing, but. There are still opportunities to be had if you can sell it. And for him to be living the dream of being a full-time NASCAR racer, it's a lot easier for him to sell that with a championship trophy uh, than he would just being regular, winless old Daniel Hemrick. I covered that Crafton Championship. And just from, let me, side note, from a TV perspective, that was like the worst case scenario because you had a race winner, an owner's champion, and a driver's champion. One, two, three, three different people and teams. Impossible to cover post race. Anyway, I went on a tangent, Davis, but it could happen again this weekend in Phoenix. So uh, let's pick our winners for the Xfinity Series champion. Who are you taking, David? Uh, Sendrick is my pick. Yeah, he- easy. Yeah, he won at Phoenix in the spring. He turned the fastest lap of that race. He ranked first in median lap time as well. If the team executes to its full extent, I don't see how 
anybody can beat them. But this is the Xfinity series, so I fully anticipate one volatile finale. All right, I'm taking Cindric as well. Uh, he's defending champs. Pick that team until they are beaten. Uh, I do wonder. I mean, not that this would ever factor in or have anything to do with it, but no, no, no plans right next year announced at least for a Penske Xfinity team. What, what the hell do you do with all these fast race cars? Uh, they have a crew chief. Sell I would hope. Them? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you do. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think. I, I think you know. I think that that future will be decided shortly enough. But the the best resume builder that you could give yourself is to go out with a team that this might be its last hurrah, but win the race, win the championship. You're fully capable of it because you've done it before. You might as well do it again and end on a high note. All right. Good stuff. Uh, we both pick Austin Sindrick for the Xfinity Series Championship. Our Cup Series Racing Preview coming tomorrow on a brand new bonus episode. Don't you forget, we are available on all major podcast platforms, no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff helps spread the word about this podcast. We, of course, notice, and it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, we would love to hear them. Reach out on Twitter at posregpod.com, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you are always working hard. It is championship week. What do you got this week? This week for NBC Sports, uh, I'm going to detail the most obvious reasons why each championship Ford driver will win or lose at Phoenix. It's a de facto preview, but one just focusing on the extremes, which might be contrarian enough for (laughs) our listeners' tastes. Uh, So if you're interested, do visit nascar.nbcsports.com. All right, good stuff there as we look toward crowning a champion. Same with me, man. Just keep up on my uh, social media pages uh, on Thursday after you're done listening to this. Thank you for being a subscriber. Make sure you hit up my Twitter account or any of them and watch the latest edition of Quick Hits. Setting the table for your racing weekend. It goes far beyond just NASCAR. A lot of cool stuff going on, including some good racing for the dirt scheduled for this weekend. So make sure you watch that video from Speed Sport. Make sure you watch the last edition of the year of Fantasy Live. There are fantasy champions to be crowned, David, and myself and Amy Long will help you do that. It usually posts Friday afternoon on nascar.com so i hope you guys enjoy that as well this has been episode 127 of positive regression for david smith i'm alan cabana we will see you soon If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. 
We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.